0: the removal of drugs and alcohol, that's actually the beginning. Like it was a big epiphany epiphany to me to come into an understanding that, that, uh, that the disease isn't removed with abstinence, that's when the work begins because it's my underlying emotional condition that needs constant redress.
1: You are listening to Veggie Doctor Radio, and this is episode number 230. Welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. I am your host, Dr. Yami, board-certified pediatrician, certified lifestyle medicine physician, certified health and wellness coach, author, speaker, mother, wife, and human being. and equip you with the knowledge and tools to live your best life. Are you ready to get started? Let's do it. Hey, veggie lovers, welcome to Veggie Doctor Radio. So we are doing something a little different for this episode. We are doing a podcast swap with the Switch for Good podcast. If you've been a longtime listener of Veggie Doctor Radio, you may have already listened to episode number 80 with Dotsie Bausch. And she is one of the co hosts of the Switch for Good podcast, along with Alexandra Paul. So they are some good friends of mine and I have also been on their podcast as well. And I actually don't remember what podcast episode number I was for them, but you could look it up. So we decided to do a little swap. I'm going to play one of their episodes on my podcast and they're going to play one of my episodes on their podcast. And the reason we're doing this is because we want to find more listeners. We figured that our communities are pretty similar in what they like and listen to, but maybe you just haven't stumbled across this other podcast. And so this will help you discover another podcast to listen to, to put on your weekly rotation. And I think this is a great podcast. So the episode that I chose to air is with Rich Roll. And the reason I chose to air this one is because first of all, Rich Roll is awesome. He himself is a veteran, longtime podcaster. He has been podcasting for over 10 years, but he is also the husband of Julie Payette, Shrimati, which I had on the podcast last week. You may have heard that episode. We talked about her cheese line, Shrimu. and maybe you've ordered some already. I just remembered I need to order some to make sure I have some for Thanksgiving. So this episode is is pretty cool because you will have heard Julie talk about some of her journey and it, of course, is going to align some with Rich Roll's journey and because they're married and they have a history together. But then in this podcast, you're going to hear from his perspective, a lot of these things that happened and how he came upon some of the things that he did. But what I also love about this episode is that they really get into some important just tips and nuggets on how to approach things in life. Like it it just gets very practical in some ways because Rich is talking about his sobriety from alcohol, but also workaholism. Some of the themes that you may have been hearing, remember, I asked Dr. Greger and I'll just say, y'all, I'm probably a workaholic as well, as you probably have noticed. But it's really important tips. I got a lot out of this episode, and I felt like by the end of the episode, there were some good takeaways that I could apply to my life. So I really hope that you enjoy hearing from Rich Roll and from Dotsie and Alexandra in this episode of the Switch for Good podcast. Enjoy it, and I hope that you check them out. Thank you and have a fantastic day.
2: Well, hello out there, everyone. We are so, so pumped to welcome you to the Switch for Good podcast. I am Olympic silver medalist and Switch for Good nonprofit founder, Dotsie Bausch. And I am Alexandra Paul, a certified health coach and a longtime actress. Years ago, my life was radically transformed when I made the switch for good away from eating animals and animal-based products. My athletic performance was greatly enhanced, much to my surprise actually, by the power of plant-based eating. Dropping all animal products from my life has finally aligned my values with my diet,
3: and now I feel more balanced and more at peace with food and with my body.
2: Alexander and I started this podcast with you in mind. We are here to take you on a transformative journey to learn the power of eating plants and help you redevelop a healthy relationship with food and a more whole relationship with yourself.
3: Each week, we bring you doctors, dietitians, psychologists, prominent athletes, and other interesting guests who have deep, rich information and inspiration to share. We welcome you every week. Join us on the journey to switch for good. This is is the future.
2: Hey, y'all. Dotsy here. Spoiler alert. Free stuff at the end of this, so don't press fast forward. All right. Whether you are a first-time listener or maybe you've been with us since day one, I just wanted to really thank you for choosing the Switch for Good podcast. We know there are literally thousands of podcasts out there, and we're honored that you chose ours today and left the comedy show or murder mystery series for another day. Speaking of, Alexandra and I are always dying to know what brings you into the Switch for Good podcast. Why do you love it? Or what do you want us to do better? We want you to be honest and let us know with a review on your favorite podcatcher. It really helps us to improve the show, which means more enticing entertainment for your earbuds, and it helps the Switch for Good podcast move up in the ranking so more people can tune in and learn, which we hope transfers to more lives saved, right? All right. Here's the free stuff. As a thank you for your review, we're going to send you our 50 ways to leave the utter ebook by Paul Simon, which you only got that joke if you're over 40. (laughs) All right. 50 ways to leave the utter ebook is a quirky yet really effective resource for anyone looking to go dairy free. If you're already plant-based or dairy-free, give it to a friend. It's full of helpful tips like how to use plant milk in cooking and baking, immunity-boosting foods, and a go-to guide for products dairy-free. Because trust us, we know the best cheeses and ice creams out there. Oh, yeah. And there's also lots of pictures of cute cows (laughs) because we couldn't resist. So leave us a review on the podcatcher you are listening to us right now on. Then take a screenshot of it and send it to info at switchforgood.org. And Zoom, Zoom will send you your 50 Ways to Leave the Utter free ebook. Welcome out there. Welcome to the Switch for Good podcast. We are stoked to have you back with us. And today is a special occasion because uh, I have the honor of introducing my friend and an extraordinarily kind human being, Rich Roll. Rich is a father and a husband, but most of you will recognize his grounding voice from his weekly masterclass in personal and professional development, The Rich Roll Podcast. From a promising Stanford swimmer to desperate entertainment lawyer caught in the vicious cycle of alcohol abuse, Rich hit rock bottom and used the power of plants and endurance to catapult his life into one of abundance. Between completing the Epic Five Challenge to writing his best-selling memoir, Finding Ultra, Rich has amassed a life of experiences far beyond the average lifetime. He now dedicates himself to being a facilitator of growth and wellness through the Rich Roll podcast, which he launched in 2012. Rich is a true original, a multifaceted individual with a bounty to share, and we can't wait to get into it. So welcome to Switch for Good podcast, Rich.
0: It's so nice to be here, uh, you guys. I'm I'm really honored and touched. And after that introduction, I have a feeling it's going to be all downhill. <laughs> I should have, don't like, say that. I need I need that bio. That's I, you just wrote my new bio. That, that was beautiful. Like, <laughs> I think I'm I did embarrassed it to you Embarrassed there. hearing that. So thank you.
2: <laughs> you betcha. Um, I'm going to go a little bit deep from the get-go. Alexandra and I are always batting back and forth. I like to go super deep and she likes facts and figures and <laughs> how do I change things and give me habits. <laughs> so you're going to get the mixed bag from the two of us. Okay, <laughs> Everybody gets what they want out of this podcast. Um, but you, I like talking about suffering. When we, when I was on your podcast, we talked mm-hmm. a lot about suffering. Uh, and, and you have a profound ability to suffer. Uh, but initially, that obviously seemed to work against you. You had to hit nearly rock bottom or rock bottom, not nearly, to pull yourself out of the hole. So how does one distinguish between suffering that will benefit you in the long run and suffering that's dragging you down?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, uh, I I don't know. I'm still trying to figure that out, honestly, because I think for me, suffering has been a great teacher in all its forms. Like I learned pretty early on that if I was willing to suffer in the swimming pool that I could bridge a talent deficit gap and be able to hang with people who were clearly more talented than me. Mm -hmm. And I think learning that early created this association that suffering is good, or the more that I could develop my capacity to suffer, the more way I could make myself in the world. And so it was always kind of a good thing and something that i prided myself on and has of course taken me to you know some 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 pretty great places uh, but because i have a very high tolerance for suffering <laughs> i'm willing to you know entertain the dark side of that as well so like everything like all energy you know there's two sides to the coin and you know whereas suffering has 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 taught me in ways that have benefited me it's also been a teacher in you know how to dance with the devil as well which is its own learning experience and you know i've 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 done enough internal work to not regret those experiences but try to learn from them because all things i think are are material for learning and growth but certainly you know suffering can be a bad thing too so how do you distinguish, like, where is the dividing line between good suffering and bad suffering? Um, I think that's going to be different for, for different people, but I think ultimately, if you are somebody who has developed even a modicum of capacity for self-reflection and doing some of you know the kind of internal work, whatever that looks like for you, then you know in your gut, like, is this something I really should be doing? Or is this making my life better? Or is this moving me in a direction that is um, away from the things that I care about or my core value system? So I think being in the habit of always... Uh, being in that inquis- inquisitive state and asking yourself those questions is kind of a helpful um, divining rod in, in in figuring out whether it's good suffering or bad suffering.
2: Yeah.
3: So you were able to um, excel because of your capacity in terms of physical suffering. But alcoholism, and Dotsie mentioned this in the uh, intro, and your book, Finding Ultra, tells it in searing detail, your journey through that. Being an alcoholic is often um, running away from emotional suffering. So do you think that you have more of a capacity to deal with the physical, but the emotional, um, so the physical overcomes the, the um, emotional suffering, you know, and um, you prefer to suffer that way? Because I think a yeah. lot of people also ask, is Rich Roll an ultra athlete because he's, he's just taking one addiction to another and Mm -hmm. maybe still covering up that emotional suffering.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I, I think there's certainly some truth to that. I think I would be disingenuous if I said, absolutely not. There's nothing addictive about being an ultra endurance athlete. Like the ultra endurance world is filled with people in recovery because that population of people like myself are of the mind that more is always better or further, farther, like, you know, however you can push the limit in various aspects of your life is something, is like a moth to the flame, right? So so certainly there is an addictive piece in there. And if you're not careful, I think your relationship with, you know, sports or or other things can become, unhealthy in that regard. So that's another kind of inquiry that I'm always making, you know, is this a healthy relationship? Is this moving my life forward in a positive direction? Or is this me running away from something and hiding behind the veil of a socially approved behavior, or perhaps a behavior that I get rewarded for, which makes it even more enticing to hide behind. And, you know, that's, that can, that I think can, can be tricky because like you said, like Um, you know, I, I am an alcoholic in recovery and I'll always be an alcoholic in recovery. And I am somebody who, who, you know, is very attracted to more and more and more, like how can it be bigger and better? And that can be pursued in the physical realm, but it can also be, pursued in the emotional realm like if you feel like you're a piece of shit and you aren't worth anything then you know let's push the envelope in this behavior that isn't necessarily physical but is very extreme as a way of of creating emotional punishment for yourself because you feel like you're deserving of that like that's that's kind of like the dark, you know, side of, of what that kind of emotional disposition can look like without tools and you know uh, everything that I've learned in recovery.
2: I'm wondering what you think about if consumption kind of begets consumption. I'm I'm reading for the second time because every single word is so powerful. Joan Halifax's book, Engagement, and. And in there, there's a part where she's speaking to a doctor, and he's talking about that um, consumption makes for more consumption, even when it is completely unpleasant. And they did this experiment on rats, which I wish they hadn't done that, but they did, where they fed them saline water, which I guess is very, they don't normally like, and it's bad for them. Mm -hmm. Um, And even though it was making them sick, they kept coming back, kept coming back. And I thought... it it, it just kind of the core of it. If you were to, to, to say it's almost the simplistic nature, because there's always simplistic part of everything and a complex part of everything with my anorexia, I felt there at the, at the end before I got help, probably that full last year where I was just, I was, I was like addicted to the consumption of it. And it just kept getting worse and worse and pushing more and more not for any other reason that it had become a consumption habit.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think, I think um, if you're consuming something behind that, there's some drive that's compelling that behavior and you're getting something out of it. There's a inherent reward system with that, whether it's a dopamine, dopamine hit or whatever it is, like mm-hmm. you're seeking it out for a reason, right? And you're getting that little bump but as as you kind of inure yourself to more and more of that you need a bigger bump and you're going to constantly you know chase that dragon seeking more and more and more because you're not getting that reward stimulus that you initially got at the yeah. beginning of that yeah. like you know it's adventure kind of right mm-hmm. so yes it's always going to beget more and more and more until ultimately you reach some crisis point with it where you're compelled to reflect on your behavior and, and, and modify it otherwise you'll yeah you know continue your whole life doing that and we see that in various forms you know in our in our culture because if you can still keep your life together while you're kind of chasing that thing and things aren't completely falling apart you can persist in that for the remainder of your life without ever enough self-reflection or awareness to realize that it's an empty pursuit
2: Mm -hmm. yeah
3: you're um tolerance for like we've been talking about meant that when you were in rehab, they told you that you had, you were like an, a 65 year old alcoholic, even though you were a 33 year old,
0: 30, 31,
3: 31 year old. Um, what, what did you learn in rehab that really clicked with you after so many years, a decade of a little more than a decade of drinking?
0: Um, well, I learned that I had a disease, that I wasn't a bad person, but that I was somebody who had an affliction and that affliction um, is, is both a physical disposition as well as a spiritual dilemma. Um, and I learned a whole box full of tools for how to manage what got me into that situation. To begin with, and those tools are both very practical and tactical, um, but also very ephemeral and and spiritual in that in, in that regard. Um, and I and I learned that, you know, this is a condition that I'm going to have to live with, but that it is solvable, um, and and the solution um, doesn't end with the removal of drugs and alcohol that's actually the beginning like it was a big epiphany epiphany to me to come into an understanding that that uh that the disease isn't removed with abstinence that's when the work begins because it's my underlying emotional condition that needs constant redress because when you remove the drugs and the alcohol, that's that's sort of like the solution until it stops working. And then when you take that away, you're left with no tools and no ability to manage your life and your emotional state. And that's where these tools have become critical and remain to this day like the core principles upon which, you know, I premise my life and make decisions and kind of, you know, it's an organizing principle around which, you know, makes my life functional
2: what did you find out about yourself what was at the core what was the pain and the agony and the angst that turned you to a drink i think it was eternally?
0: i think it was a sense of worthlessness and a belief that i didn't belong and uh, a conviction that i that i uh that I didn't deserve good things and that bad things would always happen to me. And this deep seated desire to feel connected to other people, like a big part of my drinking was fueled by this discomfort in my own skin. And if I could have some drinks, I could be with other people and feel like I was a part of something. So it's a, it was a, a, a loneliness, I think and an insecurity uh, that seemed to be ameliorated when using, but then when you, You know take that cure away you're like this like loose end like this live wire that doesn't know what to do with himself it's almost you know it's worse until it gets better so i learned that i wasn't a broken person and that there was nothing you know fundamentally wrong with me that couldn't be healed and that healing process has been a journey of you know a a journey towards wholeness that has compelled me to look in the rearview mirror and identify my fears and my resentments and how I've, you know, misused sexuality, which provides this clear picture of kind of your general tendencies. And mm-hmm. um that, that kind of fills in the colors on this story, you know, that you believe about yourself. It puts it to the put the put to the test and kind of shows you the lie behind that. And then you have all of these tools for rectifying all of these things that have fueled those resentments and fomented those fears so that you can be released of them. And some of them are very practical, like doing a personal inventory and making amends to people and the like, and others, like I said earlier, are very ephemeral. It's like forgiveness and, you know, prayer and meditation and, you know, these spiritual principles and tools that, um, that are kind of you know part and parcel of the entire program that go with all of the kind of practical stuff
3: so we you do you still go to meetings on a regular basis or do Mm -hmm. you practice um these things yourself in your in your own life without going to meetings
0: yeah, no, I go to meetings. I mean, during the COVID period, you know, most of the meetings went to zoom. So that's become like more of a zoom experience and they're starting to, you know, some of them are starting to go back to normal. So, so, you know, in in all candor, like my meeting attendance dropped off over the last year and a half. Um, but certainly it's still the number one priority in my life. And I'm, you know, very much a member of the 12 step community here in LA. Yeah.
2: You know, you just said something about making amends with people. And I I think that maybe, gosh, that could be one of the greatest pains of all of us wandering around is those, those times where we made missteps. Um, and last year, I had a couple of ex-employees uh, sue me for some things that they just made up and i have been racking my soul since then it was just i don't know it just it felt horrible at the time mm-hmm. and i cannot put together how i might reach out in 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 kindness and with compassion and with wholeness and with the desire to Make amends. Part of it is I can't imagine what that looks like, and maybe I need to do that. Um, what were your were your steps when you went back and said, "There's there's some amends that I that I need to make"?
0: Well, sure. I mean, I mean, first of all, it's identifying your part in the in the yeah. equation or in the dynamic that led to the conflict. Yeah. Um, and regardless of of. You know any kind of conflict that any of us find ourselves in, it's very easy to say that person was entirely wrong and look at how awful they are, and you get your friends to say you're right and they're terrible and all of that. But when your pet when your head hits the pillow at night, you kind of know how you might have contributed to it. So I think the first part is yeah. like getting. Really- and I know how I would
2: have done it differently too. Yeah,
0: which is so, yeah. right. And and then carrying yeah. that around for a long time has this like. Psychic drain, right? Like, yeah. even if, yeah. even if the in the balance of things, like they were more wrong than you, still you have your part, and, yeah. and holding on to that is holding you back. And so, the immense process is about identifying your part in it and then figuring out how to not only apologize for that piece, but to actually undertake actions to make it right to the best of your ability not in a way that's going to unduly harm you or harm other people, but if there's a way that you can course correct it, and then in your daily life moving forward outside of those other people to, have to you know conduct yourself with a living amends. To like, I'm not going to behave that way anymore. I'm not going to get myself into those situations. I'm not going to engage in the behavior that led me to behave in that particular way in that instance. Mm-hmm. Um, is kind of like the core you know idea behind it, and they're hard and it's very scary to approach somebody with whom you've had a conflict, especially when and there's a lot of emotions around it. Um, And the manner in which you do it is you go in without expectations and you don't say, Mm -hmm. here's what I did, but you did this. Like, you just like, here's what I did. This was not right. Like, I want to make it right. Here's how I'm going to make it right. Um, And they either accept that or they don't. It's none of your business, whether they forgive you or not, but you're cleaning up your side of the street. And so the whole point is, the more that you can clean up your side of the street, tidy up you know past stuff that has that kind of you know subconscious anchor you know on your soul the freer you are the more comfortable you are in your own skin the easier it is to look people in the eye and over time you begin to you know inhabit this more fully actualized version of yourself that makes you more productive happier more functional um and you know in a, in a kind of woo woo spiritual way like honestly, when you're, when you are living, you know, that kind of life, like things work out better, like doors open, people want to be around you. There's something undefinable about it that I've experienced and and have seen in other people. That's, you know, nothing short of, of magical, but also, you know, extremely real.
3: That's beautiful. I've been on both ends. I've, uh... I was in therapy for 12 years for my eating disorder. A, a, a month after getting into Overeaters Anonymous, I stopped throwing up and then went through the 12 steps and became just, it was amazing how, yes, the therapy was important, but the actual actions that the 12 steps actually ask asks you to do are incredibly powerful. You've changed so much over your, in your book talks about this transformation which is why it's so inspiring um and so when, and, it be, and then it became a bestseller uh you i'd like to talk about your relationship with julie your wife who sounds like an extraordinary person mm-hmm. she she was alongside you when you were recently sober uh, i think you got together with her about a year after you you had gotten sober or gotten mm-hmm. out of out of um The rehab, and then you, she saw your evolution from being sober, but translating that pain into maybe eating, and you became a very you were still sedentary, overweight, not very happy as a lawyer, and then you transformed into a a, the fittest man on earth in your forties and a, a very successful podcast. This kind of change in one person is not only extraordinary for a lifetime. Congratulations! I mean, it's mm. it is so inspiring. But what does it do to a relationship? I heard you talk about how your wife first had detachment, and I'd like you to sort of expand on that and her um, personal love and versus divine love, if you can share with our audience that because I thought it was beautiful.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean, I, it's it is a really powerful story, and I think it's it's. Um... It's a potent lesson in in relationship dynamics uh, in that like Julie was able to kind of hold this space for me to like elevate myself to a higher level of of awareness and 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 behavior, and the way that it kind of went down is super interesting because you're correct, like I met Julie when I had a, about a year of sobriety. Um, and you know, she was the first like healthy relationship that I, that I had had because my my relationship with drugs and alcohol was so intertwined with my relationship with the opposite sex. Like it was very hard for me to separate those things. And so the first year of sobriety, it was impressed upon me that I should be celibate and not date and really work on myself so that I could be somebody who could be in a healthy relationship. And I took that to heart and seriously, but I met Julie right at the very tail end of of that year. And that was that. And at the time, you know my focus and intention was on creating the strongest foundation of sobriety that I could and also on repairing all of the wreckage in the real world that I created as a result of my drinking and using and and kind of behind that was this deep shame because I had squandered a lot of opportunities, like I was somebody who was on a very you know kind of upwardly mobile track. And I feel like I, I really destroyed a lot of that and I was hell bent on rebuilding it. And that created a bit of a tunnel vision for me uh, that translated into some workaholism and you know me just deciding like, I need to be a partner in this big law firm, not because that's what I wanted for myself, but because I felt like, then my parents would say, he's okay, or society would look upon me and forget about the whole alcoholism thing and say, you know, he, he's the person who, you know, I knew when he was 18 years old. So that was really driving me. And, you know, the backdrop was I meet Julie. Julie's, yeah, I meet her in a yoga class. She's super into spiritual growth and personal growth. Uh, she's eating really healthy. She's taking care of herself. She's reading lots of, you know, empowering books. Meanwhile, like, I'm just like, I'm working, hard, you know, I'm. It, it's that kind of um, suffer mentality. Like I'm just applying that to my professional life in a very, you know, with a, with a hard grip on it. Um, and also medicating myself with, food. Like I couldn't do drugs anymore, but I can go to Jack in the Box and I can go to McDonald's and I can stay at the law firm super late and do all of that stuff. And I'm technically sober, but in early sobriety, it's it's not until you know you're sober for a while and you start to realize that some of those behaviors like don't really fly with being a truly sober person. But I wasn't really in that space yet. And Julie, you know, could see this. And I think she looked at me and said, I can see like this guy has so, you know, he, there's so much inside of him that would be beautiful for him to express, but he's so like dense, like he's like stuck in his own way of thinking. And she would say to me, like, maybe you shouldn't go to Jack in the Box. Like, why don't you, like, I made some broccoli or here's some stuff in the fridge or, you know, instead of watching Law and Order, like, why don't you read one of these books on the, on the bedstand, <laughs> you know? And the more that she would do that, the more that I resist it, and this is kind of like the relationship piece. Like, as if anybody, you know, anybody who's been in any kind of relationship, you know, perhaps can relate to that dynamic. If one of your, if if a, a partner is kind of like trying to push you in a certain direction, there's a there's a natural resistance to resist that. Um, And she wasn't like vibing me or really judging me. It was all very gentle. Um, But the more she did that, the less likely it was that I was going to avail myself of any of those kind of healthy alternatives. Um, And then, you know, she kind of got to the point where she thought like, well, this isn't working and I don't see this guy really evolving in the way that I thought that perhaps he could. And she had to ask herself like, if he just stays this way forever and never, you know, evolves in any meaningful way, like she's thinking of herself on this evolutionary path. Like I'm always trying to grow and improve myself. If he's not, is that a guy that I still want to be with? Mm -hmm. And that's a hard thing to figure out. And ultimately she decided, yes, I love him. And, um, you know, even if he doesn't change, like I still want to be with him. And at that point she decided, well, if that's the case, then I need to let go of trying to will him to be anything other than who he is. And she didn't do that in a perfunctory way. Like she actually meant it and started practicing it without telling me, but that created like a vacuum because suddenly like all of that energy that I had acclimated towards was no longer there. And I think that was a really pivotal thing because even without A conversation about this in any regard, I could feel that energy shift. And suddenly, rather than somebody else saying, you need to make a change, I was just left with myself. So when I looked in the mirror, I was like, well, no one's telling me I need to be any different. Then suddenly I find myself asking myself that question for maybe the first time, like, is this okay with me? Is this how I want to live? Is this what I'm going to continue to do? And I think, that precipitated a little bit of an existential crisis that trickled into how I was thinking about my professional career, not just the foods I was eating or the sedentary lifestyle that I'd been, you know, kind of pursuing. Um, and, and I think that continued to build until this kind of like staircase episode that I've spoken about many times that catalyzed like a lot of the changes that have led me to, you know, doing all the things that, that ultimately I ended up doing
2: that was the episode when you you were watching probably Law and Order and you w- were going to bed and you walked up the stairs and you were right. completely gassed at the top. Mm-hmm. And it was like, hold on a minute.
0: This yeah. Not- I had, you know, yeah. Like winded by a flight of stairs. I mean, I'd been mm-hmm. a swimmer at Stanford and, you know, you know how yeah. denial works and like body image works. Like you <laughs> think you look a certain way when you look in the mirror and there's a, a, a very different reality, but it takes some kind of externality to snap that, you know, the to like, crack that denial and and allow yourself to see yourself as the way that you really are. And I, yeah, that staircase incident was that clarity moment for me, which was not dissimilar from, you know, hitting bottom with drugs and alcohol and having that moment mm-hmm. of clarity that led me to going to rehab. And I realized like, I need to make some changes And I need to kind of do it in the way that I did it with drugs and alcohol. Like, of course, being like, you know, extreme, like I need to find, you know, uh, detox for lifestyle. And I kind of created that for myself. Mm
3: -hmm. Can you talk just to, uh, to finish that thought about the difference between divine love and personal love?
0: Yeah, I mean, that's really a Julie question. But, you know, personal love is a beautiful idea but ultimately personal love is transactional like i lo- you could say that you love somebody unconditionally But that will only last until they do that thing that's just outside of bounds for you. Like whether they, you know, rob a bank or steal a car or cheat on you. And then suddenly that unconditional love is very conditional, right? So that's really personal love. Like there is a transactional aspect to every human relationship. Divine love is very different. Divine love is like the sun shining on the earth. It's indiscriminate, like it will shine everywhere. It doesn't matter who you are or what you did, it shines its light equally on everybody and is very much the opposite of transactional and much more of, of, a, a, of, a, of, a, of a universal kind of thing. So the idea being like the more that you can embody what is best about like universal love, which means refraining from judgment and Mm -hmm. um, always seeing the best in others and being the first to, you know, not only forgive others, but forgive yourself are, you know, pretty uh, powerful guiding spiritual principles for how to live your life. Yeah. And that was the thing with Julie. Like, she's like, is this Gosh. a divine love or is this a personal love like if it's divine love then who am i to judge this person's decisions about how he's living his life
2: right yeah and 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 that'll be hard to hear for people that just you know went through maybe a brutal divorce that the person would not stop sleeping with other people cuz there's boundaries sure. in, around but it's a, it's it's a beautiful idea and and when you were speaking about um you know, kind of the actions, uh, around the experience of, of loving someone else. There was a, um, what was a complete game changer for me was, I learned this in therapy, but really helpful was just about every time, which is so much less often than it used to be that I want to kill Kirk for whatever, um, is instantly say, okay, what, what is annoying to him about me from the last week? Like, what are mm-hmm. the things? And I'm not being like, oh, that's so great. It it was, it was truly a practice that I got into from, from from learning that. And every single time you're like, yeah, I'm not gonna bring that up. He's awesome. I let like he's a complete and total the, the most intense workaholic I've ever met. Mm-hmm. And every time I'm like, i really are we going to do this to like eight at night? Can we just uh, you know, whatever, whatever my ideas are of how I want to experience that moment, you know, so, and he needs to be in my picture frame so I can have this, you know, and he's working or whatever, but he truly is, 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 is happy. Um, I, I, I think what's the opposite on the couch with a beer can watching football, mm-hmm. which I would die if that, like, that would not be my, my good match. That would make me want to just I, I couldn't I wouldn't be able to experience divine love that's just awful but that is the opposite so when I would think also think of what the opposite is it's it's like okay hey babe can I bring you anything to eat up in the office while you're still working <laughs> and it's it ties into respect right which is just so common that we all know we've all been married for I think I'm the newbie I've been married for 18 and you guys are longer I know Alexandra is longer how long have you been married?
0: Uh, how long have we been married? Uh, Oh, maybe I think like, I think 18 also 2003, we got married. I've been with Julie since 2000. So we've been together for 21 years.
2: Yeah. 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 But
0: I think, I think it's what you just said is really interesting. I think you have to be careful though. Yeah. That you're not, that that doesn't lead you to harbor some kind of resentment that you're repressing. Yeah. Um, a powerful practice that, that I like to do that that might be helpful, mm-hmm. when you feel that annoyance cropping up mm-hmm. to go beneath the annoyance and say, well, why is that annoying me? Like if this person is behaving in this way and I persistently feel annoyed with that, what is driving that annoyance? So in, in your particular case, I mean, I wouldn't know, you would know, but let's just say for the sake of argument, it's if he's working all the time, then I don't feel connected with him, or I feel like he I worry about it. I know
2: what it is. I yeah. worry that he's not actually happy because who's I'm not happy working twenty four seven so I only have my own experience so that's you're projecting
0: my ac- that yep completed. you're projecting that, and also his happiness is not your business. it's not your job to make him happy, only mm-hmm. he can make himself happy, and your definition of happiness you know, may not meet up completely with his. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah. I've heard you call yourself a people pleaser, Rich. Yes. So you've had to learn that lesson, I guess, right? Yeah. And, Are we doing
0: good? To... Do you guys like me?
3: Going well? <laughs> I have that That's lesson. my goal. <laughs> so... Oh, dear. Right. Oh, no. <laughs> All right. So you went from an excellent athlete in in high school and college to alcoholic, to sober, but then eating a lot of junk food and gaining 50 pounds. So when you do things, Rich, you do it big. We've already established that. <laughs> so- you're now very healthy in a big way. You have a very successful podcast, a beautiful family life. How do you deal with some of the negative aspects that you st- that you brought over um, in your life now where, where you're sober and you're not racing as much, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah,
0: no, I, I don't really race that much anymore. M- negative aspects, you mean like how am i how do i keep those negative tendencies at bay or what do you mean specifically
3: yeah H- how do you deal with some of the negative aspects of now doing things in a big way like do you have mm-hmm. desires to do things in a big way and you realize you know what this is not healthy or maybe it is healthy
0: Tell yeah me- i mean i think i think the biggest one that i that i deal with now is 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 that workaholism thing like I feel like uh when I wake up every day, it's like, how do I spend my time? How can I be the most impactful to the most number of people, like carrying this message forward that I carry about, that I care about. Um, and the podcast is is, you know, really the main outlet for that. Um, and I constantly find myself like overcommitting. Uh, to things and filling up my calendar with too many things, and then you know complaining about how exhausted I am and how close to burnout I am, like I do that time and time again, you know years and years and years of therapy and 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 recovery, and you know oh there 's rich he 's grinding again and complaining about how he 's exhausted like that 's the thing that consistently comes up for me uh, because I take all of that other energy that maybe, you know, would find an outlet in training for a race or something like that. And I put it, I put too much of it into my work. And that's not to say that I don't make sure that my life is balanced in the important ways, but that's the weakness. I think that, um, is an Achilles heel for me that I, that I always have to pay attention to. And so the, the things that I've done to counteract that, um, or to grow, you know, beyond that is to hire amazingly talented people, which is what we did this year and really create a team so I can step back and um, participate in my life outside of the studio in more meaningful ways. I take a a month off every January, which so I'm getting ready to do that now. So those are things that, that, you know, I'm creating, I have to create an environment that's conducive to the healthier choice because left to my own devices, um, I'm going to always like pivot to that other thing. And I think it's driven by, you know, you mentioned people pleasing, like there's certainly a people pleasing aspect of it. I still, I'm still, you know, an ambitious person with lofty goals and I know how to work towards them. But at the same time, I've never felt more comfortable in my own skin. Like I really do believe like I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing and and it doesn't need to be anything bigger or more than what it already is. And then if I were to not wake up tomorrow morning, like that would be, you know, it was a it was a life well lived. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I have I have grown, but I also am very aware of how I can tip into some of these unhealthy behaviors that no matter what I do are always like it's whack-a-mole, as you know. You know, <laughs> it's like, okay, I got this area of my life, like in good shape and it's sorted out and then it pops up over here so you know that will that's the what that's life that's the way you know that's the way it goes
1: i haven't always enjoyed spicy food in fact I'm Panamanian, and in Panama, we don't add a lot of spices to our food, and I grew up not really eating much spice. But after I adopted a plant-based diet, I started craving it more, and now I regularly use hot sauce and choose spicier foods, which is interesting. You know, I always talk about how we learn to like what we're exposed to and this is definitely an example of that because my husband he likes spicier foods so i started to eat a little bit more spicy foods now i wouldn't call myself like top level spicy food eater but i definitely have more of a tolerance for spicy foods than i used to and now i crave spice And I am not alone. An instant cart survey this year found that 74% of people eat hot sauce with their food. 45% they use it at least weekly, at least a dash of hot sauce on their food. Another survey found that 67% of people are passionate about their favorite brand. People are now interested in unique flavor profiles and one-third of Americans consider themselves spicy food aficionados. That is a lot of people. So that means that a good percentage of you listeners like hot sauce which means that you have to try Bernie Wilde's Adventure Sauce. Now, this is a very unique hot sauce. So if you're interested in something that tastes a little different than your standard hot sauce, this is a hot sauce for you. Right now, it's my go-to sauce. Now, if you are intro level spice person, don't worry, just use a little. If you are at the expert level, you can douse your food in it. I like to put a lot on my bowls. I even use it on my pasta. If you like hot sauce, I'm pretty sure that one bottle is not gonna be enough, so make sure you order plenty. Now, the unique flavor combination in this sauce is you won't find anywhere else. It's got the spicy kick from the chipotle, but it also has tanginess and creaminess from the miso. I haven't tasted another sauce quite like this. So all of that being said, if you haven't already tried this sauce, do yourself a favor and get some now. It's called Bernie Wild's Adventure Sauce. If you get yourself a bottle or two right now, you're going to get 20% off your First order of twenty dollars or more, and free shipping. Just use my code. That's Dr. Yami D R Y A M I. Follow the link in the show notes or go to berniewilds.com. That's B U R N Y W I L D S.com. BernieWilds.com. After you taste it, I want to know what you think about the sauce. Give me your feedback. Is it too spicy for you? Because honestly, I don't think it's very spicy. It's a very mild amount of spice, or is it not? spicy enough for you. What do you think of this sauce? Email me, tell me, email me at yami at dryami.com and let me know. Okay. Go get yourself a couple of bottles of Bernie Wall's adventure sauce right now so that you can get your 20% off and free shipping by using the code Dr. Yami. Get your spice on. Do you love veggie doctor radio, but you're sick of listening to ads? join the plantscription. The plantscription is a monthly membership where you have access to ad-free episodes of Veggie Doctor Radio every week, but that's not all. You also have access to a monthly live Q&A with me and a monthly live book club. You'll also get access to writings and musings and free giveaways. It is such a great deal. Right now, it's only $5 a month to join the Planscription. If you want to join, go to planscription.substack.com or go to the show notes to follow the link. Join the Planscription today and join me in this fantastic community.
2: It sounds like, from what I'm hearing, it's very important for you to have a plan like, uh, you know, what you're saying uh, that you're, you know, you take January off and there's very specific aspects to a plan that you have to implement because the other, uh, your your default is the other. Um, and I, I didn't realize how many people, uh, there was a, a recent Gallup poll that showed that uh, 48% of Americans say that they don't have the time to do what they actually want to do. I mean, I would have guessed it. I just thought, golly, that's you know, obviously half of us just are wandering around waiting for when do we get to do what we actually want to do. Um, what, what, what is it? What would be a good plan for someone listening who's like, yeah, that's me. I never get to do what I want to do because that feels very intentional. If you're going to change that,
0: yeah, I think it's a it's a sticky wicket. It, it is about it is about planning, but I also think it's about boundaries. right? For me, Mm -hmm. a big piece is boundaries, especially as a people pleaser who wants to say yes to everything and has a hard time or is fearful of saying no, because it might mean that someone might not look at me the way that I would like them to look at me. Mm -hmm. So learning how to set healthy boundaries, I think is super important. And frankly, and I don't think this is going to be news to you guys, but if somebody says, I don't have time for this thing, they have time, it's just not a priority. And so why isn't it a priority? Like, if you were to chronicle how you spend your time in 15-minute increments over the course of the, a week, I think everybody would be astonished at all kinds of areas where time is wasted. So if you truly want to do something and you're not doing it, either... um Either it's not important to you, or you haven't prioritized it, or perhaps there's a block where you're afraid of doing it because if you do indulge in that behavior, what does that mean? Like that can be scary, I think, for a lot of people. And it's easier to just keep doing, living your life the way that you're living it rather than stepping outside of it. And I think we're, as human beings, creatures of habit. And once we've established a certain habit, breaking it, even to build in time to do something that you enjoy, can be intimidating or difficult.
3: I think also, and I know that um, you you learned in sobriety that to change, you have to have a concrete plan. And a lot of people don't plan ahead mm. to make that time, because it's not going to just show up today. You have to actually, like you said, have boundaries and know a little bit about how you're going to react in the future.
0: Like, Yeah, sure. I mean, I think um, you're definitely the the structure, tactics, strategy person. Alexandra, clearly. <laughs> she's like, tell me about the plan. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. Stop brushing right. over it. Yeah.
3: <laughs> That's a um, question. I want to know how you plan now to, uh, yeah, how you use planning to improve your life, actually. You
0: know, I... I I think planning is super important and and I my relationship with planning and goal setting is is I think it's critical to be really cr- crystal clear on what it is that you're trying to accomplish. If you have a goal to set a goal and then to um, create metrics around it that are measurable, like putting it on a calendar in the distance and then working backwards from that date to erect a structure that's conducive towards you achieving that goal. Like I think all of those practical things are super important. Having accountability, like who are you telling Uh, Who are you letting into this dream that you have that can be a benefit to you? Who are your mentors? Like, what are you doing on a daily basis that's moving you or inching you forward towards that goal? All of that, I, you know, I believe in wholeheartedly, but I also like to hold those things, um, loosely. Like I, I, I've learned to not be over regimented in holding on to goals and things I have to do every single day too tightly, because that creates like a tension and a rigidity that leads me to a level of unhappiness. Like you know, it just it doesn't it doesn't really um, work for me. And what the way that I kind of practice it on a daily basis is really. Um, out of like the James Clear Atomic Habits playbook. I don't know if you've read his book, but everybody oh, yeah. should read that book, especially <laughs> if yeah, you're like lighting up. I'm sure you love that <laughs> book, right? It's about, yeah. you know, it's not about like in the athlete context, it's not about the huge workout, the super long ride that you did. It's about the tiny little things that you're doing every single day that seem like nothing in the mm-hmm. moment, but ultimately accumulate. To you know shift your shift your life and your perspective and your behaviors over time, so consistency, persistence, tiny actions, um, all the stuff that 's not very sexy and isn 't going to be something that you 're going to put on Strava or post on Instagram, but are really the levers for change and when I look at my life, like when you describe it like oh you 've made all these crazy changes and you 've done all this stuff, like these things happened over such an extended period of time. Like I got sober at 31, I'm 55, like, and I still struggle with emotional sobriety. Like I'm not perfect in this in any regard. And I was sober, like, um, 10 years before I did my first Ultraman and like went vegan. And it was many years after that. It was a couple of years after that that I did Epic Five. And then it was years after that that I wrote my first book. And I've been podcasting for nine years at this point. And I'd be terrified to go back and listen to episode one. Like we learn <laughs> in the doing, right? And I think a lot of people get intimidated by big goals and they want to know, like if you're too wed to the roadmap and how am i going to get there and i need all of these questions answered before i you know embark on day one of this then you're dead in the water like you have to hold on a little bit loosely understand that you don't need all of those answers all you need is what you need what you're going to be doing today and the answers you seek will be answered in time but it's almost rigged to prevent you from understanding everything like you're not supposed to what you're supposed to do is go on a journey on an adventure and the stuff that you're worried about today will get figured out if you have the faith and the conviction to simply just begin
3: Mm-hmm. that's beautiful you don't even sound like an extremist when you say mm. when you talk because you sound so balanced about that i think it's it's wonderful
0: yeah i'm a ref- i'm a reformed ref- i was going to say reformed reforming extremist I
2: guess. <laughs> is, it, is is there still a time when you want to drink like yesterday or last year
0: very 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 rarely I mean, once in a very blue moon, like I'll be like, wow, that would be cool to like, Uh like I'll be watching a movie and everyone's sitting around a pool having a drink. Uh And I'm like, that looks nice. I wonder if Uh I could do that. And then I'm like, yeah, but if I was there, I would have to have three drinks before I even went to that house where they're having that pool party. And then I would have to have, You know, I'd be the guy sneaking into the house looking for you know when no one's looking. Like it just, I have to play it out in my mind, and then I realize like immediately it's not the attractive scenario that that you know that creates that kind of like impulse, and that helps um, uh, make the craving go away. So the struggle really, the emotion, the 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 sobriety struggle is really not about drinking as much as it is about, like I said earlier, like emotional sobriety. Like if I'm not Mm -hmm. practicing these steps and engaged in my community and calling my sponsor and doing all this stuff, you know, I'll be, you know, an asshole or short with somebody Mm -hmm. or I'll find myself sitting around ruminating on all kinds of resentments. Like that's the toxic stew that is, you know, sure to come if I'm not, you know, in that kind of daily maintenance mode,
2: mm-hmm. I'm just curious about that about al- alcoholism. Um, it, because my vice was was anorexia, and so there there wasn't a world where I could heal and I could just remove food mm-hmm. right, like you can with alcohol and drugs. I am the same person I was, but I am a completely different, hopefully more evolved version, which you certainly seem to be. And I don't even know if you've traversed this, but would you be that person if you were at a pool party? Like, would you need three drinks to hang out anymore?
0: Yeah, I think um, yes and no. Uh, I probably wouldn't be needing the three drinks to show up. But then the day after that happens, I'm certain to do this again, and then I probably mm-hmm. would need that like I think what I happens it. is the the difference is, and I'm so sympathetic to to anorexia and disordered eating conditions because abstinence is you know a powerful way of putting distance between yourself and cravings like if I had to have a couple of beers every day, it would keep that. That mm-hmm. triggering craving alive, right? So you have to live with that in a way that that I don't, um, and you know I did have a relapse at ten years. I went out for like a day, and I was in an AA meeting that night. But after mm-hmm. you know treatment and thousands and thousands of AA meetings, and who who knows how many hours spent. You know, sitting in rooms and, you know, really focused on my sobriety, I found myself at a bar and was having a drink. And then I was like, oh, I need more. And I had like Mm -hmm. five beers in me in like 30 minutes. Like it picked up like that. And it was like everything that I'd learned and all the pain that I had endured evaporated. And it's really a frightening, scary thing, which made me realize just how cunning and baffling and powerful this condition is that it could take hold of me out of the blue like that. And dismiss yeah. everything that I had, you know, done to heal myself in an instant. And mm-hmm. I think what was powerful about that was really right-sizing my, my ego and putting to bed any idea that like, oh, I'm over this or I don't need to you know mm-hmm. continue to go to 12 step and do all of this annoying stuff because i've been sober for a long time and i can go to a meetings and everybody looks at me like i know what the fuck is going on and i ha- i know how to say the right thing and make people feel better and 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 there's like a pride in an ego like i thing that happens like oh i go to the meeting and people know me and they're like well, that guy's been sober you know however long and that got eliminated yeah. and yeah. i had to really you know eat some humble pie and that really reframed my relationship with recovery in a powerful way that has made my, you know, program stronger ultimately. And that was, mm-hmm. yeah, that was 10 years ago that that happened.
3: Mm-hmm. I always say I'm a million miles away, but I can get there in a second. Yeah. That's how mm-hmm. I look at it. Speaking of humble mm-hmm. pie, there was a time, and I think this isn't an updated version of finding ultra, but there was a time when you, you and your family went through just, uh, you lost all financial security essentially from being you. Ha- you were a lawyer, a very successful entertainment lawyer with lots of nice things, and those basically were taken away. Um, mo- you had your cars repossessed. You couldn't pay for your your garbage to be picked up. Tell us a little bit about that, and what did it teach you? Now, how, hmm. how, how are you a different person because of that experience?
0: Yeah, it was a it was a very uh, hard period of time that went on for a very long time uh, like it was a like a good I mean the hardest part was about a five year period but I think it was more like an eight year period that started um, you know when around the time like prior to me even doing my first Ultraman and you characterize like my legal career as being very successful it wasn't I was a. I was in a a big law firm and got paid a salary. Um, But then I went out on my own and I had different versions of being a solo practitioner and being in small partnerships, um, which were, let's just say, less than successful. (laughs) Uh, And then the more I got interested in, in like ultra endurance and all of that, the less attention I was paying to my law firm. And then the recession hit and money was very tight for a very long time including after finding ultra came out like i'd written this book and even after that i was like okay i'm not going to be a lawyer anymore and i'm pursuing this new path with you know faith that the phone would ring and opportunities would arise then and they just didn't for a very long time so yes we had this financial dismantling that that was very painful and emasculating also talk about humble pie yeah like Mm -hmm being somebody who has kids and feeling like you can't provide for them. And I mean, having your, your, your trash cans taken away, cause you couldn't pay the 80 bucks or whatever. Like it's you know, we had cars repossessed. It was really difficult, but the lesson in that was that it really tested Julie and I and our, conviction about what we were doing. Like we had to get really committed and really clear about whether this was the path that we wanted to pursue and what we were willing to sacrifice to do it. And it, it required a very deep conviction and faith that, this would be okay. Like we are on the correct path, even if we're not being remunerated for it right now, um, this is still right. And there were many times where I was like, this is insane. All our friends were saying, what are you doing? Like you're great. You're going to lose your house. Like this is bananas. Go, just go get a job in a law firm. Like get back to it. Like, who do you think you're kidding? Um, but, But trusting and believing that, we hadn't undergone all of this for no reason and that there was a purpose on the other side of it that we were being prepared for kind of in a spiritual sense was, you know, the capacity that we had to to develop. And I think um, it, it very easily could have blown up our marriage. And I think this type of situation does ruin a lot of relationships, but it ultimately brought us closer together um, because we had to be, you know so simpatico with what we were doing and it made us um, really connected with what is most important and what is not important and we made peace with the idea that our house was going to get taken away from us it, ultimately we were able to save it but by all indications and logic it didn't look like that was going to be the case and we were like okay well it's just a thing like we'll be fine and you know, would you go back and work a certain job that you hated just to stay living where you live? And it's like, no. And so I think that's been very helpful. It was sort of a stoic practice of like, okay, like we have our kids, we have our health, we're doing what we want to be doing. We're trusting that it's going to work out, even if society has a different idea of like you know what that means. And uh, and and ultimately, now it's so interesting when everyone's like, "Oh, you have this successful thing, and this is all working out, and how amazing!" I can promise you that for a long time, people were like, "You people are." Out of your minds, and you know, like, like, like we were radioactive in social circles. So, um, I always think back on that experience as like this crucible of strength that we were able to develop. It was like we were being burned so that we could emerge from that mm-hmm. and hold a deeper resonance that we would not have been able to otherwise.
2: Did you start your podcast not too shortly after? Um or during this time mhm and and what why did you start it what was i i've never I've never heard like what was that just that core in you that said this is something i I want to try
0: yeah, so what happened was we were flat broke. The phone's not ringing. We honestly had no idea what we were going to do. Like I did not like, you know, we had no, <laughs> I mean, when I say we had no, we had nothing. And the the phone rang and it was this guy, Chris Jabe, who had, I had met one time prior who had read my book and he was a friend of a friend. And he was a big kind of like financial mucky muck who had made a bunch of money mm-hmm. and had bought a property on the North shore of Kauai that he was trying to figure out what to do with. And he was like, would you consult for me and help me figure out what to do with this piece of land? Like maybe you guys could come out to Kauai. It was like the strangest Mm. request because it's not like I have any experience. Like, why is he asking me this? Like, I don't know what to tell this guy, but he, I think really what he was doing was throwing us a lifeline. He's like, come out to Kauai and you know, we'll work on some stuff and you know, I'll pay you. And and you know create a soft landing pad for you. So like within two weeks, our family had moved to this organic farm on the North Shore of Kauai And we were living in Yurts and I was working with this guy and it was amazing. You know, even if, you know, albeit strange, but after a couple months of being there because this was some months after Finding Ultra had had come out, I started to get a little bit of island fever. I was like, what am I doing out here? Is this really what I'm supposed to be doing? Like, Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. And I just felt a creative itch. Like I felt like disconnected from the mainland and this, you know, uh, path that I'd been on to try to make something, you know, and being on, a, you know, on an island in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, I felt like I was being ha- I was hamstrung in my ability to kind of fertilize that soil. And the podcast idea really came out of me just being a fan of the medium. Like I was somebody who was a very early adopter in terms of being an audience member of podcasts, particularly when I was training for all these races and I'd be out, on, I mean, Dotsy, you know, you guys know, like I'm out on my bike for five or six hours. And this is pre iPhone. Like, I couldn't just listen to music and I didn't want to have nothing the whole time. So I figured out this thing called podcasts which at the time you had to download on a desktop or a laptop and then bounce them onto an ipod like you had to really want to listen to these things right like nobody i was the only person i knew who was listening to podcasts and i fell in love with them i thought they were amazing i couldn't understand why more people weren't into this and i just listened to thousands of hours of podcasts while i was training and driving around los angeles et cetera. so um it had always fascinated me. And it was a time like, listen, it was a time where it certainly wasn't cool to have a podcast. Nobody was podcasting. (laughs) Certainly nobody was making any money podcasting unless Mm -hmm. you were, you know, I think uh, Adam Carolla and, you know, Joe Rogan Mm -hmm. had started it. There was comedians who were doing it, but nobody was really doing anything all that compelling in the health and wellness and and fitness spaces. And I just thought, I know some cool people, like maybe this could be fun. And so while we were on that hawaiian island like i just thought like let's give it a whirl and i spent a day trying to figure out how you do it and just turned on a microphone and started talking and julie and i had a conversation and i thought well that was fun like let's do it tomorrow there was no agenda like i'm starting a podcast it was just i'm bored and like this seems like something that's creatively interesting and let's see how it goes and it really just you know, grew from there. Like from the minute we started doing yeah. it, I, I just, I felt comfortable doing it. I really enjoyed it. And it's just, that's kind of all she wrote. Like there hasn't been a week that I've missed ever since that time, nine years ago.
2: Mm. I remember you telling me that when I was asking for some advice. It must've been around the time when we were starting, this is Alexandra's idea. And I was like, okay. Cause I was not, and am still not a consumer of the medium. Um, and I remember asking you and you said the, the, the secret is literally consistency and mm-hmm. that's it. That's it. And so I mean, mm-hmm. it's just probably four years ago. It's like, I just didn't ever skip a week. Right. And I'm like, that's it. Are you sure? But now that we're in it, whatever, two and a half years in or something, um, man, that is just spot on just because mm-hmm. it, with that also comes right all of the improvement and all of the richness of it and all of the fun and all of the you know messing up and and figuring out how to do things better and how to communicate best and it's you know another layer having the 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 two of us and we, it's it's um and i think of that often when our numbers stagnate some months mm-hmm. and i think keep after it because we love it, I mean that's obviously the core. Yeah, you love it, but yeah, a consistency is um is so true. I found.
0: It, yeah, which is just, you gotta like, love it. You have to. You you have to love it. If you don't love it, yeah. like the audience is gonna know. Yep. Um, but as long as you can create a situation that makes it sustainable to do it consistently, so that you can mm-hmm. continue to love it, that consistency becomes the teacher where you learn all the other stuff that you need to. You know, kind of get better at it. Right. Like as athletes, do you skip workouts? Like, no, you know, (laughs) not when you're training for the Olympics. Right. So it's like, okay, well I don't skip workouts. So I'm not skipping this either. Like, and just showing up for it and learning and getting better and iterating on, on it every time and allowing it to tell you what it wants to be. Cause it's kind of an organic living, breathing thing have been, you know, kind of lessons for me in doing it
2: it was just right off that I was thinking about all the lessons and um, I was curious, you know, all the guests that you've had on um, there's, you know, brilliant and impactful uh, people in, in, in so many facets, but I was curious if there is something that you learned from a guest that was most useful to you.
0: Mm. Oh man. You know, done 650 of these things. It's so hard because it just goes in yeah. like a like a soup, you know, into my brain. Yeah, um, <laughs> it's a good way. To so do it's it. it's hard to like tease out. Well, this person said that, and that person said this. I mean, the Atomic Habits thing I think is a really powerful, practical thing. You know, from yes. book. So, yeah. so yeah, you know that's yeah. an easy an easy one to identify. Um, simple practices tend to yeah. stand out from from past guests like. Like, uh, 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 what's his name? Kamal Ravakant, who has this practice of looking at himself in the mirror and saying, I love you and I forgive you. And like, you know, like little things like that that seem hokey mm-hmm. are really powerful things that when practiced, when practiced, you know, consistently, those two, those, those two, I think would, would stand out probably the most because they're so tactile.
3: You must, uh, can you, I think listening is a very important skill and a lot of us don't have it. Um, I, I think I could be a better listener. Can you give us any tips on how, how to be a better listener? I imagine that over the years you've, you've picked up some, maybe maybe picked up some skills in that area outside of your podcast but because you have to you talk to so many people and and your podcasts are several hours long mm-hmm. off and it's not like you can just go off you have to listen to be able to then continue the conversation forward in a manner that is deep gets deeper so, so many of us have trouble getting deeper when we see people
0: yeah uh, listening is the key to the whole thing like it is for me the most important piece of podcasting. So how do you become a a better listener? I think your ability to listen is tied to a lot of things. It's tied to your ego because people who are fearful of how they're coming across or afraid about how the conversation is going are going to be less likely to listen. They're They're going to be the people who jump in and want to tell you about themselves or are so anxiety-ridden about the conversation going off the rails that they're going to be over-controlling and they're just looping thoughts in their head. So ego is a big piece. I think mindfulness um, and meditation practices are key to improving your ability to listen because if you can be present, then you can listen. If you can't be present, then are you ever actually listening? Um, And I think it's akin to... To put it in the athlete context, you train really hard for a race or a game, and then you trust that training, and then you show up and you execute. But you don't bring that training with you. Just like you prepare for a podcast guest, you do your research, you do what you know, whatever your process is. But then my practice is to literally set it aside and. Yes, it's there as a security blanket, but my job now is to just trust that the preparation will play itself out in the way that it's meant to if I just allow myself to be present for the experience, which means detaching from the ego or some expectation about the direction of the conversation and treating it more like, you would a dinner party conversation. Like you don't go to a dinner party with notes or an expectation of what a conversation with the person next to you is going to be like. And when you're in that conversation, you're not like, what am I going to say next? And how's this conversation going to end? Like you're just, uh, you're open to it. You're available to it. So the more that you can get outside of yourself and your expectations and just be with that person, make eye contact with them, focus on what they're saying and try to, you know, really get calm and centered. Um, The more, the better better position you are in to have the kind of conversation that you aspire to have. Now, I think that that needs to be calibrated based upon the kind of conversation that you wanna have, like, um, Alexander, if you're trying to extract very specific information, like I need these strategies and I need these tools and you need to tell me the plan, like maybe you need notes and that's fine. It's, that's a conversation that's less about listening and more about like, tell me what you know. And I want to make sure that we cover all of these important topics versus a more emotive, emotional adventure that isn't necessarily linear. And what I've learned, and this is just my own, this is not to say that anybody else should do this or that this should be anybody else's approach, but for me, I think that that my strength as a podcaster is not only in my listening, but in creating a space where people feel safe enough to be vulnerable and open up in a way that maybe they don't in other aspects of their life. And the key to that is, Um, is not only uh, listening, but me trying to figure out what the way in, like how can I connect with this person emotionally? Like I have to create that connection and that's gonna happen in different ways with different people. But if I can really lock in with this person where they're locked into me and we trust each other, then I know everything is gonna be okay. And whatever is meant to be imparted will be imparted.
3: That's great. Uh, thank you. Uh, I In real life, do you know when you come across someone that you, may, you might not have seen for a little bit? Hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, how are you doing? Fine. And then, boing. You know. And sometimes I feel like <laughs> I need to think of something to say that's yeah. more personal, so that I can deepen this conversation just a little bit instead mm-hmm. of us both leaving with fine. So I'll think of something. A lot of times it'll be. Well, I visited my mom.
0: <laughs> yeah,
3: you know, and and at least that'll get to something family-like, you know, like or so- something personal. So how do you how do you deal with those? Because I'm sure a lot of people come up to you, Rich, and go, "Hey, Rich, how you doing?" And, um, and people that whom you know, who you might not have seen.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you- I mean, it also depends on like whether I'm in a hurry, you know. Well, yeah, I'll have a higher tolerance for the quick, awkward, whatever. <laughs> let's I'm say a party. Let's say you're at a party. Yeah, I mean I think there's there's great questions that you can ask that shake people out of that like awkward dynamic and you know one that I like to use is like tell me what what you're excited about right now. So it's not like what do you do for a living or what, it's just like what's exciting you you know these days like what are you super keyed up about or you know what are what are you know what are you afraid of right now like what's keeping you up at night like things like that that just go not too far beneath the surface especially if you don't know the person that well but is enough out of left field where they're like, Oh, like that's not the normal question that I get. Like maybe this person actually wants to have a real conversation and it kind of, um, it's like it, 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 uh, it just cleans the palate a little bit for something fresh and interesting.
3: Thank you. That's great. I'm going to use that. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I remember, uh, Feeling when I was on your past podcast, I, if we finished and I would have probably ventured to guess it was like an hour and 15 minutes or something, what it felt like because of my, how comfortable and how much fun I had. And then it was three hours. And I remember looking at you, I'm like, oh my God, that's no one, no one's going to listen to this. That is just, no one wants three hours of me. And you're like, trust me. You just looked at me like, it's like, oh yeah, people are, are they do, they do. <laughs> They'll, um, but it is, it was just that complete and utter raw openness of just feeling like we are having a really interesting conversation with mm-hmm. a with their friend and you have mastered that i just want to traverse a little bit about social media uh, and 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 the journey of social media it, there's people lo- some people love it some people hate it many are addicted to it we're living in a time where it's it it it's, it's seemingly doing quite a lot of harm and i saw did you see the cosmetic company lush just said no more, they completely Mm -hmm. got off all social media channels, a cosmetic company that probably sells, I would say probably to mostly to 15 to 20 year old girls, no more, it's enough. Is it a safe place? is Is it a good place for activists? Is it a good place to spend how much ever time people that are listening to this podcast might be spending? If you need to just completely go away from it
0: what might that look like Mm -hmm. i think you know we're in a situation where for a lot of us we can't live with it and we can't live without it and you know i've made a choice to like kind of live my life and pursue this career that's in the public sphere and Mm -hmm. there's a utility with social media that's very powerful when used appropriately but there's no doubt that it is pernicious Mm-hmm. in in its um in its predatory nature, we're all at the behest of these algorithms that are hacking our brains and leading us down strange rabbit holes and you know infecting us with um, uh, you know not just ideas but very uh, you know an addictive behavior pattern that keeps us wed to these machines in a manner that is extremely dehumanizing and as we're seeing obviously disruptive and polarizing in terms of how it's dividing us and it's a very difficult thing like the fact that you're you have like what seems like a very arm's length relationship with it like you you're barely on it or you only look at it once in a while like god bless you like do you feel like you need to be any different like you know that's i think that that's great you know like i think that you know, to be liberated from it is to be liberated. And, you know, I'm, I'm just like everyone else. I find myself mindlessly scrolling, then thinking, mm. what the hell am I doing? You know, I try to adopt the kind of post and close it and walk away because, you know, as the, we use it to get the podcast out there. And, you know, I don't post anything unless I feel like it. I don't have rules around, like, oh, I have to post this and this is the way we're doing it. Like, I'm, That's I refuse key. to be a yeah. prisoner of this thing. Like, well, everybody says you got to do this. If you're, it's like, No, no, no. Like, you know, yeah, I'll throw a photo up for the podcast. And, you know, oftentimes that's it. And even if I don't feel like that, I don't feel like I have to do any of that. But I still find myself, you know, as a, you know, as this like, you know, recovering alcoholic with these addictive tendencies, like it just primes my brain, you know, and I find myself incapable of putting it away. And if I can't put it away, what's a you know 14-year-old girl supposed to do? I mean, forget about it. So I think we're in this, you know, infancy stage with these incredibly powerful tools mm-hmm. that we're very ill-equipped to manage in a very healthy way. And we're seeing the fallout and the disastrous results of this being played out, not just in terms of individual lives, but in mental health more broadly. And in the kind of political division that we're we're seeing that seems to get exacerbated daily with this breakdown in our ability to have any kind of healthy conversation. And listen, I'm no different. Like I I tweeted something the other day and I feel like I played right into somebody else's playbook. And then I was like, why did I do that? And I'm like, I gotta get away from all of this stuff. But I think Mm -hmm. um, to kind of bring it full circle, when you look at the way that social media kind of fractures communication in so many ways, you know, podcasting is really an antidote to that because, you know, prior to, um, you know, quick broadband speeds, it was impossible to find long form conversations with anyone. We had, you know a couple of channels growing up when we were kids and we'd watch the news and interviews were five to 10 minutes at most. But now like if you're a young person and you're curious about a certain subject matter or you want to, like you're interested in a field and then here's this expert who's been doing it for 40 years and he's going to talk for two hours about how he crafted a life around that. I mean, what a miracle that that exists. Like I wish that this existed when I was a, you know, an impressionable young person. So, you know, they are tools, they are utilities. It's really about our relationship to them. And I think it's incumbent upon us to create those boundaries to establish healthy relationships with them, because short of that, they will uh, undoubtedly use you and you will be consumed by them.
2: Yeah.
3: So Rich, what are you excited about right now?
0: Oh, no. You're throwing it right up. out. I knew
3: that was going to uh, I knew she was going to do that. Uh, tell us what's um, coming up that you're excited about.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's holiday season, so I'm excited. I have like a weird relationship with the holidays. Like I have uh, like like this thing, like it's... Okay, the days are really short. It's dark out. It's cold out. Everything in my in my body is telling me I need to like rest and hibernate and hide, and yet society is telling us we need to be merry and going to parties and joyful. And I just get angry about all of that. So. <laughs> But I have kids and I want to have, I want to provide them with a happy, you know, exciting holiday season. So I'm excited about that. And then I'm taking January off completely to go off grid. So I'm getting ready for that. And I'm very excited about that because I've been working too hard for too long.
2: Yeah, wonderful. And what does that mean? Do you just totally monk out or do you do quite a lot of movement like ride your bike a ton run a ton
0: yeah a ton of a ton of that but yeah. like being offline you know and not yeah. having any obligations or appointments or you know commitments to see anybody or to do anything i really need i need that desperately to yeah. reboot the system and yeah. also we have um we put this book out, Voicing Change, last year, which is like a coffee table version of the podcast. So we have a second volume of that that's coming out in the new year. So I'm excited oh, about cool. that, too.
3: And yeah. I think Dotsy's in your first version. Is that, isn't that that correct?
0: What's that? Dotsy's
3: in your yes, first version. Yes, that's right. She yeah. is. Yes. Yeah. So everybody, Voicing Change and yeah. Finding Ultra, those are mm-hmm. should be on your Christmas list this year. Um, and you'll really set yourself up for a terrific 2022. Mm-hmm. So...
2: Yeah, we are going to come to a close. But of all of the the work that you've done, I, I, you know, this is just my opinion, but I, I I feel like there's just there's there's a there's a very much a teacher inside of you uh, that comes out on uh, you know every week. What would you put on a flyer? if it were to be seen by the entire world?
0: Mm. Um, I think a good one would be, who are you? Mm-hmm. Like, isn't that question really the question that we need to be asking ourselves all the time? And perhaps the question that most of us or a lot of us have never asked ourselves because I feel like too many of us are living our lives reactively. We're responding to the stimuli around us and the busier we are, the less likely we are to engage you know, with that kind of inner interior rumination that I think is so important to figuring out what it is that you're here to express and inhabit in your life. So I'm always trying to encourage people to engage in 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 more of that because that's really that's been my story. Like it wasn't until I started asking myself that question that uh, I was able to start you know making some changes in my life that have that have led me to this place. And that question is freely available to everybody, and the way in which you answer it is going to look differently to everybody too, which is why it's kind of like a very you know, beautiful, broadly applicable question to ask.
2: Yeah,
3: I love that. Well I'm we're very on... glad to know who a little bit more about who you are. So
2: yeah. It's really we wanted to do that. We we're on a, episode 170, 180 or something and, and uh, I, I I don't think we've had one episode uh, where we talked to no plants. I don't mm-hmm. know how that happened.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it never came up
3: this is literally the, the this, i know we've had some non-vegan people on but with a vegan we've never not mm. talked about plants yeah. so <laughs> you're 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 a first rich
2: um, uh, wow yeah we just didn't um, get to you. them, but that's thank- okay is-
0: everyone's heard that stuff anyway so it,
2: there is, is an aspect book. to that, that you, of course right it is kind of like just go to your go to read the book Right. Go read the book, people, if you want to hear about Richard plants. <laughs> right. So thank you so much, Richard.
0: Thank you. We, we
3: really you. appreciate it.
0: I just had, um, we just put up an episode with, with Leia Goldstein, who claims that she raced against you. Do you know this woman?
2: Oh, yeah. Yeah, she's going to be on our podcast next week, I
3: guess. Oh, yeah, she is.
0: Oh, okay.
2: She's a great. We raced for years against wow. each other. And, That's crazy. Uh, and then it kind of helped her with her, her plants for mm-hmm. ramp. Was, right. She was yeah, she was plant-based, and then she kind of went back and then she, I don't know, contacted me a couple of years ago and was like, I gotta, gotta get back. So it was so cool to reconnect with her. Right. And yeah, what a badass, right? Like crazy
0: oh my gosh. story, I know. craziest yeah. story. And I, I just felt like, why doesn't everybody know who this person is? Like, every like this story is so wild. Like when I, I came across it, really it, I was like, me? nobody knows who this woman is. And like <laughs> she's done all this crazy stuff. It's unbelievable.
2: Yeah. So that'll be Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, she's fierce. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, good stuff.
0: Cool. All right. All right. Awesome. Thanks. guys.
2: All Bye. Right. Happy Bye-bye. holidays.
3: So thank you so much for tuning in today. If we helped you in any way, then click the subscribe button and let's keep hanging out together. We have so much more to share with you.
2: And if you need more information on actually making the Switch for Good, please visit us at switchforgood.org for loads of info, and you can subscribe to our mailing list where you will receive all sorts of super cool gifts, discount codes to our very fave dairy-free products, and a lifetime of powerful health tips. So join us on the journey to Switch for Good. This
3: is the future.